Everybody, welcome to Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of gin, the show of coffee liqueur, the show of today's guest, the founder of Revolution Spirits, Mark Schilling. Mark is, you know, I had this sense, he kind of reminded me, I saw some pictures of him on Facebook from the 80s, the 90s, he looked like the lead singer of Echo and the Bunnymen. Lo and behold, we've been going back and forth trying to meet each other for, for years now and get, get a chance to sit down and talk. And Mark's been very supportive of the things that I've done. And I hope that I've been supportive of the things that Mark is doing down there at Revolution Spirits. We've got some gin. We've got a ca- coffee liqueur, raspberry liqueur. Lots of great things happening out there at what is Texas's distillery row out there in Dripping Springs. So without further ado, we talk about lots of things I always pictured Mark as a quarterback, but it turns out he wasn't a quarterback. But Mark's had a really interesting story, and I hope you all enjoy my interview with Mark Schilling. I went for a long period of scotch. Yeah. And today, you know, not that I don't like it, but I tried, um, a, a friend of mine recommended a, a gin cocktail that uses Lefroy oh, as, as a wash. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, well, as a rinse. As, as, yeah. And uh, so I, I bought a bottle and took out to the office so I could play around with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. The, the one that he made me was really great. And I didn't remember exactly the ratios. There. It, it was yeah, yeah. Uh, Lefroy wash with gin and uh, uh, Lillet. Interesting. Just a bit. So you just and get the peat yeah, essence, but yeah, then the like brightness a, of the yeah. Light. And the recommendation was any like really smoky peaty. Yeah. Uh, uh, so something. Well, Lafroy is the right. quintessential. Yeah. So I got it sitting up on the desk there, and one day I'm thinking, you know what? I'm, I'll have a little little scotch this afternoon, and I, yeah. I poured <laughs> yeah. it, and I was like, holy shit, this is really, really peaty. Really, oh. I mean, it's yes. over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which Ten years ago, that's what I really liked. What would you like about it? That it's so uh, abrasive, just 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 big and bold and in your face. Yeah. But today, when I drink scotch, I find that I'm liking things that are a lot more subtle, you know, nuanced, yeah. you know, kind of laid back. Were you yeah. a were you a, a punk rock or a new wave kid? Because I <laughs> why why do you ask? Well, so here's the thing: I think about like people the way they drink or the people right. the way that they maybe create products or brands and that that it's. Uh, an extension of their personality, right? And so we're all younger, right? And we are looking for those things that are a tad bit more abrasive, a tad bit more punchy, mm-hmm. instead of being nuanced. Because nuance and delicacy, in a sense, comes with age right. and appreciation for things in a different kind of way and being more laid back. Because of when you're so anxious and you're so angsty mm-hmm. and biting at the bit when you're younger mm-hmm. that... I would imagine that that's the kind of spirits that we would drink as well. 
And also, I've seen a picture of you with big feathered hair. So I don't know which one it <laughs> well, is. Well, so I'm a little bit older. I mean, yeah. you know, we're a product of the time we grow up in, right? For sure. And for so sure. for me, you know, music mm-hmm. is mostly late 70s and 80s. Yeah. And you know, I'm all over the place, mm-hmm. but mostly rock. Yeah. The harder and louder, the better. What What do you think is the the paramount hard rock band like what's the, the the prototype for you that gets into a sticky area because Why? For, Why? Well, the way that i categorize things yeah. there's like you know for me it could be what are you talking about just hard rock or are you talking about metal or speed sure. metal or that's i mean fair. you start that getting is, that's fair so that's really fair i yeah. start thinking about well you know it could be this here or that there well let's, but uh, i would say yeah overall mm-hmm. if i had to just choose the one band uh-huh ACDC. Yeah. Oh, Hands down. That's good. Not a question. And oddly enough, you know, growing up, mm-hmm. I was a lot more into the the studio albums, the what now I consider overproduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in maybe the last ten or fifteen years or so, I've really gotten to 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 feel a lot more comfortable and, and excited mm-hmm. about the live stuff. Yeah. So you, uh, so, and and so the kinda, older stuff too. So. Yeah, because I think about all the Mutt Lang stuff that he did, whether it was Back in Black or uh, Pyromania. I think he did with Def Leppard. I, I, he certainly did a, a, a not a journalized um, Hysteria, which is a hyper yeah. hyper produced record. And you, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I no, like for it, sure, especially like, the right time in the right place. Yeah, well, but, Queen, for example, would never have been the band that they are. Beach Boys included too, like or the Beatles. Fuck the Beatles would mm-hmm. never have been the band that they are. And have right. that kind of resonance after they've disbanded if yeah. it hadn't been for the just taking that time in studio. You know, it's yeah. hyper produced stuff. Yeah. So if you went if you went the other direction though and make it very, very minimal and very metal, what what resonates for you then? Um I'm trying to think about that time frame. Like if we're looking at late well, 70s it, or well, even early. It's not necessarily, you know, when you ask me like what's the for that particular yeah, yeah. genre, it's not necessarily going to be related to that time frame. It's sure. just that's kind of where my base is. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And so, gosh, let me think about that a minute. Um, I think a lot of people. I mean, they they start with Sabbath, you know. Well, I was I was thinking about that, yeah. and uh, definitely would be in there. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe Megadeth. Oh, yes. Yeah, if How? I had to choose, sometimes sometimes you don't want to choose, right? I know it's hard because you, you think like, well, now I've chosen Megadeth, so what are, Master of Puppets now I can't talk about. But like, no, yeah. yeah, you can. It's all of it, right? Right. Like Pantera, even. I, I oh yeah, totally yeah. Uh-huh. grew up on Pantera. But yeah, Megadeth. I mean, Countdown to Extinction for me, at least, that is such an amazingly tight and almost sterile record in how precise it is mm-hmm. but it's still brilliant it's some of the best riffs it's some of the best vocal hooks it's a pop metal record right. if you think about it you know? actually talking about brilliancy yeah uh, i would consider this way more along the lines of, of punk or post-punk mm-hmm. than, than anywhere in sort of the metal area right but, right uh mccluskey are you familiar I'm not, no i'm not familiar. they're uh actually they, they've broken up um but it's they're an irish band uh-huh. uh very punk and very um on on your first listen you think very cacophony yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Like stuff. but as you listen through it like there's so much brilliance in what in they're order, doing right yes yeah, and yeah. 
you know, you have to really think about it a little bit, but there's, you know, they, they do some stuff with some violins and some other stringed right. instruments and stuff. What, when, we ta- when was uh, their seminal recording? When was um, that released? We're talking 80s? Or no, no, no. This pretty is, recent? would be more like, uh, I want to say maybe 2000. Oh, okay. So it's pretty recent. Yeah, yeah, fairly recent. Yeah, I'll have to yeah, check it I out. I think they only did two or three releases, mm-hmm. and I feel like I saw something recently about them getting back together maybe with a, a little bit of a change. Yeah. How do you feel like it's a very recent wave of bands that maybe I wouldn't have considered that they would ever get back together? Like Faith No More is a good example. Like I I just heard about that the other day. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's necessary or just because the money's run dry? I I wonder about that sometimes, (laughs) particularly when you see bands that... um, I'll tell you, I saw Chicago and REO Speedwagon here several months ago. uh, Peter Cetera, was he singing? That that version of Chicago, he was only in that one incarnate of Chicago. Um, I, I I think that he was on that yeah. particular tour. Wow, that's a super but, tour. Um, but Ario in particular, I thought, you know, I loved them as a kid. Yeah, I hadn't thought about them much in years. No, suddenly they're going on tour. I'm like, well, I never got to see him, so I want to see this. Yeah, and I went, and, and and I was thinking. Well, are they just kind of running out of cash and yeah. need to? Because you think it about sucks, those things, man. Because I don't want to think about it like that. But, but I'll I tell do. you what: not only were they fantastic, uh-huh. um, Chicago was better than fantastic. Oh. I mean, it's just like they've got so many musicians with so much talent. Oh, so much talent! Yeah. And I wasn't expecting this, but at the end of uh-huh. the show, because you're you're every time you go to a show, particularly a band that you know a lot about, right, right. Seen, you, they're like they're you're waiting for certain things, sure. right? That never make the set list. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. with with both, uh, you know, I'd picked out a few things, and you know, I really, I, mean, I was thinking I'm disappointed. Right. So at the end of the show, REO comes back out on stage with Chicago. Wow. And together they play several of each other's. Things. They just like they yeah, it was like a giant jam session, oh, all of them so together, cool. and it was really really. Where'd awesome. you see them? It was in uh, uh, Cedar Park. Oh no, the the amphitheater. Yeah. How was that venue? I just, someone's asking about. The that only thing. time I've been there, I thought it was pretty good. It sounds pretty good. Um, is, that, is it outdoor venue? Or no, no, no. It it's indoor. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I missed the. Uh, there's a couple shows out there, like uh, Deftones and Incubus. I think was was one revisiting the the late '90s for me. Uh, there's been a couple like Tool was coming out there. I think they're coming. Oh out. yeah, I think uh, I I had heard several people say that apparently tickets were sold out before they even had a chance to. Yeah, like insane, just insane. Yeah. And may oh man, were you a Tool guy? Ish, Not right? Ish, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. there there are a lot of bands that I like that I don't love that. If somebody said, hey, you want to go see Tool? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. But I'm not going to go out of my way for it. Is there a band you'd go out of your way for? Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you, what is, what do you um, Again, let's get into, like, Which genre? Of, of, so like, yeah. how far am I willing to drive? You know, yeah, there, there are yeah. a lot of bands let's that I'll say, see. Okay, so this is well, fair. Yeah, I'll yeah. See, a lot of bands I'll see coming through town, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I want to go. Yeah. And then it gets to be that day, and I'm busy, and I'm doing stuff. I'm like, ah, yeah, you know. No, I, I just but, turned and, down. And that's part of living in Austin. You get so accustomed to it. You think, well, I can, they'll be back in six months or a year or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I always try to see Nashville Pussy when they come to oh, town. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Horton Heat, probably. Oh, the Rev. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was from. He's from Dallas. Dallas is that where he's from? He's from Texas somewhere, isn't he? I was thinking San Antonio, but I'm not sure. Yeah, something like um, that. 
there, there was a point at least in the 90s where you could catch yeah. them all the time. Well, you know, I used to see um, Guy Forsyth here in town uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, hardly ever see or hear anything about him anymore. No I don't kidding. know if it's because he's out other places or he's not playing as much yeah. or, or what. I don't know. I'm not really sure. There, there's that, yeah. that distinct like Texas stuff that, you know, because I moved to Austin in uh, 2000. So it was from where? From from Houston. Okay. And then from you know, then Salt Lake, then Detroit, then Be- like all these fucking places. But I, I I just think about how how much the music has changed and how much it influenced me and and how probably I don't think I would be in this particular industry no less know the people that I know and and, and have those things in common with them if it wasn't wasn't for music. So are you, were you a player or just like a longtime fan? No, uh, you know, we talked about yeah, piano like the piano earlier, piece. and you know, I was in band, you know, when I was younger, I played trombone. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I was actually pretty, pretty decent at it. Mm-hmm. And, as, and but then I started playing football, which oh, lasted. Okay. You're from, a tall dude. I just well, read. it didn't last very long. I was, I always played soccer, which was my sport. Yeah, but I played football for one season or what two. Posi- what position? <laughs> as a tall, skinny guy, you yeah. would find this pretty funny. I was but, thinking quarterback, but it's not no, quarterback, no, no. is it? Defensive line. What the fuck is a yes. tall, skinny guy? Yeah. Really? Well, you know, when you're that age, and yeah, I guess the coach is trying to figure out where to put people. Right. And, you know, you don't Not have even much like, to work with. He's but. heard of safeties, right? That would work okay too. You would think. Yeah. I, would I, think. I always thought um, I'd made a good running back. Yeah, for sure. You're you know, not too I mean, stout. though. you're pretty lean. No. Uh, but anyway, soccer was my game, soccer, and I got yeah. really into that. And you know, you don't have time for all this other stuff. Yeah. So I kind of left that behind. Where, are you a Texas guy? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in New Mexico. Oh, no. Where but, in New Mexico? Uh, Tucumcari. No shit. I was born in Roswell. What? Really? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Apparently, I'm implanted from aliens. That's uh, what people tell me. So, when I moved here, yeah. to well, not to Austin, but to East Texas, uh-huh. where, I, where I mostly grew up, I had so many people, including my teacher. Your teacher? Commented to me one day that I spoke such great English for, for being from New Mexico. What the, what did they expect from New Mexico? I don't know. They, There's like, uh, who was it? Lufthansa. My mom tells me they had a, a major training base out there. I mean, pilots are pretty bright guys. You know what I mean? Like in yeah. New Mexico, you've got, there's a couple military bases, a military mm-hmm. school. I wonder why it was such a surprise. I hear things all the time about. Did she not um, hear the new part and just thought you're from Mexico? I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, and apparently it still happens frequently today no with kidding. people. I hear stories about um, people thinking they need a passport to go to New Mexico. What the and, fuck? Are you kidding me? Seriously. That yeah. That is insanely it's stupid. Yeah. Like, well, insanely. You know, we live in a time where there are a lot of uninformed people. Sure. But they like it. They like being uninformed. Yeah. I mean, it's, e- it's easy. Yeah. It's totally easy. I mean, if I can go, I can, you know, you give me two minutes, I can go get a burger and fries for two bucks and a 12 pack of beer. It's like so close to me. So yeah, it's easy. Right. It's an easy, it's an easy place to be. Right. So you say when you move to East Texas, wh- yeah. where about in East Texas? Tyler. Oh, Tyler. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, like you guys moved from New Mexico. Was it parents work? You, like, no. Well, so or? my, my family is originally from Texas oh, okay. uh, on one side, um, one side they came here, I think it was 1826 or so, with oh, Stephen wow. F. Austin from Tennessee. No kidding. So I have okay. like really deep roots on that side. And yeah. then on, on the other side, um, my great-grandfather came here from Poland in, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say, 1888, 1890 late, late 19th or so. century. Yeah. And so you know, 
rooted in Texas, but my dad worked for the railroad, uh, and okay. so we moved around a, a lot when I was really young. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how this happened, but I also have a ton of family in New Mexico. Yeah. Kind of aside from our being there, stationed there right, right, during right. that period of time. And all, all over the place, from Gallup to Santa Fe to Clovis. No kidding. Yeah. I wonder why. Just And, and it was from the other side of the family, The too. other side. Just oh, like, okay. You know, they kind of spread out, I yeah, guess, yeah. over time. And, I wonder why. Huh. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it's just interesting to go back and kind of look at it. Yeah. When I, we were up uh, visiting my, my parents for Thanksgiving, and my mom, you know, she retired from nursing and she does pet grooming because it's a good way she loves pets like animals and stuff and so but she's also gotten really into genealogy and it's insane the amount of information she got about our extended family right and i was like oh i'm german right it's like well actually if you go look at this this report at ellis island your great grandparents are 100 percent swiss i'm like wait so i'm a fucking eighth swiss that that doesn't make any sense it's profound like just yeah. people moving spreading procreating all that and then all of a sudden you're just like you have this different base you never even realized so but you ended up moving to tyler how about how old were you, when you um, i was in the third grade yeah not whatever, too bad whatever then, age right? that is so old enough to kind of know what's going on yeah how was it yeah how is tyler i've never been out there it's a lot different now than it was then yeah. i mean when i was in high school mm-hmm. we had two major restaurants to go to dinner at and that's it Chili's and Bennigan's. Chili's is not so bad. <laughs> you know. I mean, El Presidente, Mark. El Presidente <laughs> Margarita. That's a way yeah. to spend an evening. Uh, but but now um, we're actually, uh, we've got our, our gin and three, four, five restaurants in, in Tyler. Oh, that's cool. And a couple of places where they're really doing some serious cocktails. No kidding. And I'm like, this is not the place I grew up. They're th- they're they're craving it, right? Because it, in a sense, it's like a vacuum for so long, and you don't have that. Cra- is that is that what you think's uh, happening? I don't know that they're craving it as much as you know. The world's a smaller place today than it used to be. Yeah, I think yeah. mostly because of the internet. Sure, there's we're all a connected. lot more information and stuff out there. And so you get a few people with a little curiosity, a little initiative, a little drive, who start mm-hmm. thinking about it, start doing it, and um, then suddenly it starts happening. Yeah, it's interesting. uh, It's a good point. I mean, you the world is far smaller, although it's actually not physically changed at all. Right. You know, you you end up. Oh, I'm in Asia. You're where? You're from Austin? What? Really? We know some same people. It. I don't know how things have gotten smaller, or if this is merely all just a big hologram, which some some Japanese scientists have said. You know, I'm not (laughs) really sure. But so you grew up, so did you go to high school in Tyler as well? I did, yeah. Okay, and that's when you did soccer, and then you were yeah. a defensive line and all mm-hmm. that. What kind of, st- were you just a sports guy in high no, school? No, no. Kind of academic too? <laughs> Definitely not. In <laughs> no. fact, I'll tell you, if my high school chemistry teacher knew what I was doing today, uh-huh. he would be rolling over in his grave. <laughs> if he were alive today, he yeah. would probably be sending out flyers all over the don't, country. Don't Do trust him. Yes, the, you know. <laughs> Do not do this. He actually called me in uh, uh, after class one day uh-huh. and suggested that I transfer out of his chemistry class into yeah, some other room, biology class. or, or right, something, right. whatever else you know you could substitute for that. Because I just, you know, it was I wasn't interested yeah. in that sort of thing at the time. What and, were you uh, interested in? Uh, you know, I was 16 years old. Chicks and cars and girls and yeah. loud music and cheap beer. And, yeah. You know, well, I guess that sort of seems yeah. like that's pretty. pretty I'm, again, I've not been to Tyler, but I'd imagine in many t- same Texas as towns, everywhere. man, it's right. the same thing, right? Yeah. 
well so was the sports thing did you just take to it or i mean you have it it was really it it was more soccer than anything else yeah football worked for a little while i tried baseball and you know some other things and you know, soccer was what worked for me. Yeah, uh, I still play today. Oh, cool! Uh, I've been off and on over the years, oh, I but didn't know that. it's like the one active thing that I was reasonably good at. Yeah, and, and you uh, kept at it. Yeah, and uh, you know, as you get older, you have to keep doing stuff like that because once you stop, mm. you know, everything goes downhill it really does. fast. It's like leaving your car out in a win- in winter. Yeah, right. The engine just doesn't start mm-hmm. because you got to keep it going and keep it moving. And, you know, it's an interesting thing too when you talk about health for a little bit. That people think, well, my I've got back problems. I shouldn't work out my back. It's like, well, actually, it's, you, it's exactly nothing, what it's, you should do. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and I think we're, we're. It's such a weird thing when we think about health. Like, but my legs are sore. You know, like, they're my knees are messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, do squats. I mean, yes, you got to be careful and stuff, but strengthen that stuff up. And mm-hmm. I think it's really, really important, especially. God, what a tangent! But especially being in an industry where people drink a lot and they smoke a lot and they party a lot, which is totally good. It's admirable at times, but you got to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And do you find that it's harder to do that as you get older? I do, but only because there's so many more demands on my time today. Yeah. Um, And I don't, I don't know this necessarily because I'm older, right? But it's because I'm in this, well, I'm in this business now. It's still relatively new and, there's so many more things to do and uh, so many less resources. You know, if I could look forward into the future a year or two years or five years, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think hopefully at some point I'll have somebody that I can rely on to do this right. or to do that. Can and, kind of look at larger picture things. Yeah, maybe I can tactical. focus more on a, a, a smaller number of things yeah. and still have a little bit of time for outside activities yeah. or inside activities or just, just activities just going shit. home and paying the bills yeah, you know yeah. um it gets busy it really does it, it, so yeah. w- did you i'm i'm certain you did some kind of stint in college you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i don't know but it's right, i did several, I several stints in college was it in time ty- there's a, a college yeah. in so i i went originally i went to a&m okay okay and um was very distracted by uh the same things as you were in Tyler, fast yeah. cars, uh, cheap women, and yeah, yeah, fraternities and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I uh, I, I left. Um, I will say for the record, <laughs> I did not get kicked out. You fucking left. No. It was your. It no. was suggested to me that I should take a long semester off. Really? Yes. And, Who suggested uh, this to you? Uh, one of the counselors. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I I transferred back to uh, Nacogdoches to Stephen F. Austin. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I spent one semester there, and I absolutely fucking hated it. Right, as and, many people do. Yeah. And a, against my my parents' wishes, right. and, you know, they were paying the bills. Um, I went and secretly reapplied to A and M. Okay, got all my duck, got reaccepted. Uh-huh. Or actually, I, I I don't think I had to get. I don't. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, what I wonder. The they probably were, had you on like academic probation or something. Yeah, right? something yeah. like that. And it's like you got to do this, and then you can re-enroll mm-hmm. and. Uh, I found a place to live, set up the whole bit, and then I went home and I announced what I was going to do. And uh, like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but but they let me do it. Sure, anyway. sure. And so I, I went back, spent some more time there, started out strong, uh-huh. got distracted again for the same reasons. Uh, Were you a player in college? I think that you. Not, no, not not really that. I just, I just okay. you know, I was just like, 
my mind just I'm always like going so many different directions. Yeah, yeah. I, I I never really learned how to how to study and apply myself right in the way that you should. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever and, that means, right? right yeah, should, whatever yeah. that means. Um, Getting good grades anyway, right? Yeah, uh, I learned a lot of good stuff, whether sure. it's in class or out of class. It was really useful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I eventually went back to to Stephen F. Austin again. Why would you? Do, but did you? But is that was reason, that your call? It was, and the reason was because I was at a place where I wanted to just get finished, right, right, get the degree and move on, just um, be done with all this. Just, just be done right? with it. Yeah. And I didn't want to wait the the amount of time that it was going to take for me to to finish at A and M. So I, I went back to to Nacogdoches. I actually got involved in some student organizations, student government, a yeah. bunch of different things, and um, somehow I started applying myself. Why would you do that, Mark? I don't know what happened. (laughs) Which is funny because at the same time, I probably went out more, Uh drank more, partied more, did more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it sort of, I I got to a place where I figured out how to manage it. And it became, it like almost coalesced into being productive. Yeah, exactly. Maybe because it's social. And sometimes like if you keep that social thing going, right? I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, some people learn in class. Yeah. Some people learn in, in applied situations. Right, you know, like right. take uh, auto mechanics, for example. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can learn how to fix all those things out of a book yeah. all day long, but you can't really do it until you get your hands dirty. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a combination of like learning it and doing it and practicing it. And, right, and right. a lot of it is just learning how to how to deal with other people, how yeah. to manage, you know, relationships and mm-hmm. be nice to people and things like that. So something happened and it just kind of a switch flipped and you are now interested. What were you, what was your official major then when you went back to Stephen F. Austin? Well, so I, I started out, this is part of the problem. I started out as an architecture student at a really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was really into that. And, and I, what happened is just like with the chemistry. Yeah. I'm not mathematically inclined. Right, right. So the creative part of it was great. Yeah, I build the best looking building to work underwater yeah. ever. But but when you have to show your work, yeah, and suddenly, um, you know, it's like I don't know. There's that I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And so the the whole creative part became not so interesting anymore right, when you had right. to back it up with science and engineering and all that other shit. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I got thinking about it, like, well, if I'm going to change my major, what should I change it to that I might actually be interested in mm-hmm. enough and, and, and feel comfortable enough that I can do well in it? Yeah. For whatever reason, I chose political science and history. <laughs> it's so funny. because I mean, I guess I can see political science makes some sense, right? Well, I was interested in politics and government sort mm-hmm. of in a, in a broad way. Yeah. Uh, I've always been really interested in history. But thinking of, about applying that to the workplace yeah. at the time, it was like, what are you going to do with that other than be a teacher or go to law school? Right, right. So for a brief period of time, I thought, well, maybe I want to go to law school. Okay. Which I didn't. Okay, good, and good. I've never looked back on that. Never regretted it. Yeah. But I will tell you today, um, although I don't know really what the the most direct practical application of political science or history has been on on my work uh-huh. whether you know in in this field or or otherwise right right um one of the things that i've recognized when i was in college all of my roommates accounting majors finance majors business majors mm-hmm. you know whatever they couldn't write or communicate or the shit no kidding 
Even wrote, verbal, they couldn't even. Verbally, yeah. But if they had to write a paper for a class, no they would come to me, and I would, for the most part, be the guy that wrote everybody's papers. Oh, wow. Did you make any money on that? No. Damn I was, it. Really? I was stupid. Yeah. I well, didn't know. yeah, stupid, um, man. But today, if I had, if I were looking to hire somebody, mm. and I had a, a wide range of different backgrounds, yeah, I would tell you I would give preference to the person with a liberal arts degree, yeah, if they had any other sort of experience or knowledge or, or ability or something to do the particular job, right, right. Just because I know that they can write, they can communicate. Uh, there's there's something about that. that I, t- I totally agree with you. I totally do. And if you you know, if even if you get a philosophy student that's stuck working at an accounting firm or something, that's a brilliant mix if right. you think about it. Like, well, I can do tactical stuff, but I also can think. Mm-hmm. I can be creative, you know. But so where does that, where, where did you parlay that? I, I imagine then, did you finish with a poli-sci degree? And, from I did. Statement of and um, I was thinking about either law school or graduate school right, of some right. sort. Yeah, I went back to Tyler. Not really sure what I'm going to do, do you, with Were all you staying this. with your folks when we went I back? was, yeah. yeah. Um, which was a, you know, an adjustment. Yeah. How does that how does that uh, disrupt the lifestyle that you were once living in both uh, college station? Well, you know, I mean, it's like you know, you go back and live with your parents, and they got rules and yeah. expectations, Fucking and rules. you know, you're gonna push on that some. Yeah. So, and and I'm the oldest of three, so uh-huh. I'm the one who's broken all the rules, and and you know, my brother. You're the first one to break them. My yeah. brother and sisters to this day still don't appreciate what I did for them. Oh, they you they made had it so it, much easier yes, for they them. They had it so easy. Oh man, I did that same shit for my yes. brother. Every firstborn does that, and yeah, the siblings never really get. They never know. It. They, but um, they, that's fine. You know, yeah, that's fine. So you were you. What so were you I'm doing back there. I'm, back? I'm thinking about graduate school, trying to figure out what I'm doing, yeah. and I ended up. And, and this has happened to me my whole entire life. I just sort of fell into the next thing. Right. And um, I think people are like rallying against you right now, like that, Mark. He always falls upward. What the hell is his problem? <laughs> uh, if they see my bank account right now, they might think <laughs> otherwise. But uh, yeah. no, so um, I was kind of screwing around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I ended up doing some volunteer work for a political campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there was an old crazy woman who was also volunteering, you know, answering phones and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And she said to me one day, this was right down the street from, from my parents' house. It was mm-hmm. easy to like go and spend some time. Yeah. She said to me one day, you know, you're really good at this. I know a guy that's running for office who needs some help. I'm going to call him and tell him to hire you. Wow. And I thought, okay. Was and that interesting to you at that well, point? At that point, anything that paid me enough money to be able to interesting to go to the bar right. and buy a few drinks was, was good. Yeah. But... Also, knowing that she's this crazy lady, I thought, yeah, wonder, whatever. Right? Uh, so, you know, I kind of dismissed it. About a week later, I got a call from this guy. And he said, hey, so-and-so called me and, and said I ought to talk to you about doing some, some work for my campaign. Yeah. And it started out, this is really funny. He just wanted me to help him sell some tickets to a fundraiser. That was it? That was it. I'm like, Easy enough. Okay. Sure, why not? Yeah. So I did that. And within a couple of weeks, keep in mind, I'm fresh out of college. I don't mm. know shit about anything. Within a couple of weeks, I'm running the guy's entire campaign. Holy shit. What was he running for? For uh, state representative. State representative. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty title. big. Out of college? Well, that's your first kind of PR stint, if you will? Yeah. That's pretty That's good. He, he's running against a, a, a four-term incumbent yeah. in, a, in a district that, uh, you know, 
there's no reason in the world to expect that he could win. Yeah. And I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. But you're doing it yeah, anyway. It's just like common sense kind of stuff. Yeah, though, right? yeah. And uh, so I end up running his campaign. Wow. He ends up winning. What the? A four-time incumbent and yes. you beat him. By, I, I don't remember the, the exact amount. It was like 26 votes or something. Like something, something ridiculous. Narrow. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like just barely. Um, so he wins. He's coming to Austin, uh-huh. and I ended up coming and working for him at the Capitol as a yeah, staffer yeah, yeah. for one session. When, when the, uh, what year were we talking? That was uh, 1991. Okay, cool. Early 90s. So, yeah, I, I moved to Austin in December of 1990. Okay, okay. Worked for him that session and um, quickly realized that he was a fucking nutcase <laughs> something that like, well I, I in all fairness like, the lady was nuts so obviously nutsy people yeah kinda... i mean he seemed reasonable throughout the campaign and mm-hmm. it's like sudden what what does that mean though that's a, that's a good question so why what made him can you think of a moment that you're like dude this guy is nuts is he like erratic is he bipolar what exactly does uh, that mean you know my thought all these years has been that once he actually won the election, mm. that he started getting the big head oh, okay, and thinking okay. that, uh, you know, he was meaningful yeah. in the grand scheme of things. I see. And Inflated sense of ego. Yeah. And, and you don't come to Austin as a freshman legislator and think that you can run the place. Right. You know, you, you get in line, you learn how things work, sure. you pay your dues, you yeah. work, work your way up. And he just, there were a number of things just a little bit, crazy yeah. and and you know he listened for whatever reason i'm not sure that that he should have yeah but throughout the campaign he listened to me when i said you know i think maybe we should do this or do that did did, did he kind of hold you in high regard because maybe you're the one that helped him edge out what it was a really really slim win, margin of winning i i don't know because i yeah. feel like after that happened once we started working together in austin mm-hmm. that everything changed and uh, suddenly like he's got it all figured out. Sure. Doesn't, sure. Doesn't appreciate, you know, the input or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. And it just became a little bit uncomfortable. Interesting. So I, I quit. I said, yeah. you know what? It's not Fuck really it. what I yeah. want to do. And, uh, I didn't, again, I was back in a place where I didn't know what I wanted to do. And right. I was like, maybe I should join the Marines. Did you join the Marines? I tried. Okay, good. And and that's actually kind of a funny story. <laughs> I have a good friend who's a, a, a former Marine guy that I went to high school with. Uh-huh. We talk about this a lot. I went down to a recruiting station, right. talked to a guy. He actually talked me out of it. What? What did he say? Not that that's not an unreasonable thing, mind you, but no, what did he tell uh, you? It, well, two things. He said, one, this was, you know, 1991. Shortly it was the before first, Desert Storm. It was the Storm. first, yeah, it was right? right in the middle of that. And he said... Um, Two things. The first thing he said is, I don't understand why all of you college guys come in here and want to join up and go into infantry. Yeah. And all of the dropouts come in and they want to get these these positions doing, uh, you know, computer, you know. It's almost like high tech kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to. Like, let know, me get some action. I don't do stuff half ass. Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm going all the way. And, uh. So we had that conversation, and the second thing he said was, you know, by the time you get get processed and get in, go through training and all mm-hmm. that, all of this stuff is going to be over, yeah, and you're going to yeah. end up stationed in bumfuck Iowa for four years right. or something with nothing to do, and it's going to be a big waste of your time, wow. and basically talked me out of it. Did you which, say, you know what, <laughs> recruiter guy, that's pretty reasonable. 
Did you? you know, I, I don't remember what I thought about it at yeah. the time, but I didn't do it, and then I ended up um, just sort of because I'm in Austin yeah. and I've been around the capital. I ended up getting a job with a, a, a trade organization representing mm-hmm. the chemical industry. Okay. What uh, what kinds of chemical? All chemicals? Certain chemical kinds? manufacturing. Oh, okay. So okay. being from Houston, you know, yeah, there's right, a lot right. of that down there. Uh, doing uh, lobby related work. Yeah. So you know, I ended up getting into lobbying, which is not something I ever planned to do. Interesting. Not something I ever wanted to do. It just yeah. kind of happened. And so that's what I've done most of my adult life until I started the distillery. The distillery. Yeah. So like lobbying is an interesting thing because if House of Cards has taught me anything, <laughs> it's that lobbyists, they're kind of the, they're kind of the bad guys. You know, is that, is that really the case? No, it's actually my, my, position is yeah. that it's the opposite i've the, never the, the i've never guy. seen house of cards it's been on my list you should watch it it's been on my list if nothing else kevin spacey is a, he plays a yeah, mean I love guy kevin spacey. he's fucking killer well i'll tell you i have so little time to watch stuff oh, and right, when right. i do is like i get into one thing and i gotta stick with that until it's done yeah and uh, so i just haven't gotten around to house of cards yet. I, you, I think it, it, there's some intrigue yeah. to it some political mystique and intrigue and stuff yeah but, and, and but you think the the lobbies are the good guys I will tell mm-hmm. you, in 25 years of doing this, mm-hmm. of all of the bad guys that I've come across, yeah. only twice were they lobbyists. No kidding. Yeah. What, what The rest of the time, what were they? Corrupt sheriffs? like <laughs> Other people? Yeah. And, yeah. and the reason, there, there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, I think it's easy to blame lobbyists for things. Sure. Because, you know... If you're an elected official, obviously you're not going to take the responsibility. No, for of anything. course not. You want to risk your yeah, your you're, and you're not going to blame your voters, no, right? No way. Uh, but lobbies, it's it's easy to put that off on you know because you know, they think of us as like car dealers, or right? Something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Used uh, car dealers, exactly. Mind you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's different, or what what people don't realize is that a lobbyist is only good and effective if they're honest and ethical. Oh, really? Because we don't have anything to to trade on other than our reputation Mm -hmm. and as soon as something happens if you get a a shitty reputation right whether it's about being a dick yeah or being just you know completely dishonest whatever it doesn't matter yeah yeah once you lose your credibility it's done nobody will hire you no and nobody will listen to you nobody will talk to you um that's yeah. that's actually yeah. very enlightening. It's a good it's a good thing. I mean, that's a I'm I'm glad yeah. to hear that actually. That's um, like you have to be honest, earnest, and have a good reputation, right. or else people won't even keep you around. Yeah. Uh, most of the things that people know about lobbying is what they see on TV or in the movies. House of Cards, or <laughs> Remy Danton, yeah. or whatever his yeah, name is. Exactly. The, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, probably the the closest thing I've ever seen to reality in terms of of. TV or movies mm-hmm. would be uh, thank you for smoking. Mm. Nick Nick Naylor, and love the, that. The movie, difference man. is he was really more of a PR guy than a than oh, a than a lobbyist. PR spinning guy. Yeah, yeah but sure. just the way everything played out in there, it was it, it, there were some things that were certainly not accurate or, or realistic. Yeah, but it was a lot closer than anything I, else I've ever seen. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I like that because it's a great movie. It's a very small movie. It's not too complicated. Mm-hmm. Some real strong characters: the ATF lobby, the alcohol lobby, and then obviously tobacco, big yeah. tobacco and stuff. Do you? What would you say was your favorite cause that you were lobbying in this twenty-five years? You said as as your stint as. Um, done a lot of different things but probably 
it would either be the chemical industry yeah simply because i think people don't really realize the impact Mm -hmm. that that has on modern life anything from um you know, what we eat to what we wear to, you know, health. You right, know, it's, right. it's, it impacts in so many different ways. And then I spent about five years working for the National Federation of Independent Business. How was which that? Which is an organization that represents small independent businesses. Okay, okay. So, you know, the little guy. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that was was really great, too, because you feel like you're, you know, and you know this from the business we're in now. Yeah. They're, they're just, there's so many challenges being small. Oh yeah, it's whether tough. it's regulation or taxes or just competition, yeah. everything. You know, the cards are stacked against you. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Nobody does anything to make it easy. So. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect yeah. that they will. You know, but so when you, I keep thinking about this, but like you said, you have time for like, you get really really involved with the movie, or you get really really involved with the TV series. Do you just go and like rush through it, or binge watch it, or it depends. Yeah, um, some things. Um, you know, I did uh, Narco in about three oh, nights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good. What do you think? It was, it was. I thought it was extremely well done. Yeah, it's um, good. I didn't. You know, it was one night. It was like needed. I was, you know, as a small business owner. Yeah. I, I don't sleep very much, and right. sometimes I need a little break. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I need something to, to. Were you enticed to just sniff a bunch of cocaine watching Narco? <laughs> <laughs> I was not. I was enticed <laughs> to go dig up. Um, you know start digging around and see if I could find bundles of money that, yeah, uh, yeah. that somebody's left somewhere. But uh, That's, that's so a brilliant idea. I thought, too. well, I'm going to check this. I saw somebody had mentioned something about it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. And the first episode, I'm like, you know what? I'm hooked. I liked it. Was it just yeah. really well well done. It is. And it's funny. I have a story a little bit about Narco. Like, there are certain things. Ladia will watch most. She loves Goodfellas. Like, mm-hmm. that's how I knew that's the woman I want to marry because she'll sit and watch Goodfellas with me every mm-hmm. time it's on TV. Not a lot of girls will do that. Yeah. Not a little bit. But so I was one night she was out and I was I was in the living room watching maybe episode three or episode four of Narcos, mm-hmm. which happens to be a narrative built around fucking. So it's that one episode where there are four narratives. The the main FBI guy, Pablo, and then one of his workers, and then someone else, and it's all a narrative of fucking. That should be mm-hmm. the name of the episode. But they're all they're all fucking around. There's all just a bunch of sex and stuff and she comes in and she she sees it. She's like, "What are you watching?" I'm like, "Well, it's Narc, you know, Pablo Escobar, you know, uh, Medellin and stuff." She's like, "Okay." And she leaves mm-hmm. for about ten minutes. She comes back, more fucking. And she's like, "What are you watching?" <laughs> I'm like, it's not. It's a yeah. serious show. I swear right. to God, this was the, the director's mm-hmm. choice for how to tell the story of this episode. So, anyway, she has that particular perspective on Narcos. But I agree. It was it was a really I'm looking forward to season two because presumably, as as the tale goes, Escobar escaped the prison that he built, and then he wasn't around that much longer, mm-hmm. eluding authorities in Colombia before they just fucking took him out. And there, it was like a celebrated day and stuff. So I don't know if we can make another two seasons of it. Him. Yeah, I I kind of had the impression that maybe what they were going to do is once they finished with him, they were yeah. going to go on to a see that that would be that'd be really cool. Yeah, maybe even get involved with the mob or, or yeah. something. You know. And one of the things I've wondered about, which I haven't had the time to go and check, is mm-hmm. how closely it tracks to to the real story. Pretty close. I think it is pretty close. Yeah, but it I is. wonder how. Uh, yeah. The, so, for example, the gosh, for for those of you who haven't seen Narco, this is spoilers, <laughs> but luckily it's history, so you right. know, just read history. But no, the the picture of he and he's doing some drug drug deal in Panama, 
right? Remember, I think that was one of the pictures that that was when it. they they had to to all like pick up and yeah. move down to get out of the. Yeah, so that was a real thing. The picture that he took, the mug shot where he like mm-hmm. had assaulted some military guy or something, and then took oh, and shot. also the the guy that they got to play him. Oh, he's, he's great. Like, he's like. They could be twins. Yeah, it's really, really good. Did you ever see the movie? Oh man, shit. Was it the? This with Matt Damon. Uh, I can't. I can't remember. But anyway, so I saw him in another movie. I'm like, Pablo Escobar's in this movie. <laughs> he's now he's forever yeah. Pablo Escobar. Right. Like even uh, Benicio del Toro played Escobar in another movie called Paradise Lost or something like that. Great, love love him. But this dude in Narcos, like, he's he's the the guy. Do you think like your interest in history was kind of what piqued your interest in the show, or just, you just like the boobs and the cooking? No, I th- I think <laughs> it, it it's a little bit about the history. I yeah, think, I mean, you know, boobs sell, right? They do, but sell. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of the intrigue. I, I've always been a little interested in things like you know the mob or the cartels, just the fact that they're they're so big and the yeah. way that they work. And you think you know, it's kind of like it really is a business. Yeah, and you if you're going to be successful at it. Even if it's a huge illegal thing, you have to be a good businessman. Yeah, or kill some dudes. Yeah. Uh, Either yeah, way, it's the same thing. It's trimming well, out the it's talent. A, it's actually it's a combination, I think, of both. Yeah. I mean, For, it, it absolutely is. Which yeah. kind of begs the question, like, why? Now, I, it, of course, I can be completely hypocritical, and you can ask right. me the same question. Why the fuck would you get into craft distilling? And actually, while I'm asking you, I'm really just asking myself. But if, actually, what, what was that? What was that's that a narrative good question. like? Like, what were you thinking to even get into that business? Sometimes I wonder. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> I love it, yeah. but uh, you know, how it happened for me again is like nothing I ever thought about. Yeah, it's uh, was never on my list of things to do. Mm-hmm. It just kind of worked out that well, way. You got chemicals. You're bad at chemistry. Like all craft is still at no, right. Um, <laughs> So, so here's really how it happened. Yeah, tell me. I was in Louisville, Kentucky mm-hmm. at a meeting with, with uh, cl- some clients, mm-hmm. lobby, energy-related stuff. Okay. And actually, I'm going to bring it all together. Here. Yeah, the please. The whole booze and soccer and, and everything. Wow. So, um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think this. I could I'm going to see how but, he ties this all together, um, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> I had broken my ankle playing soccer. Okay. I was on crutches. This is the first time that I really had traveled after this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd been like locked up in, in the house for a while. Right, right. Had this meeting in, in Kentucky that I went to. Um, still have the little air cast thing on and, mm-hmm. and crutches. I had a really long day of travel to get there. I get there, you know, it's the night before the meeting, and my client had a bunch of people up in his hotel room for a little happy hour or uh-huh. something. So, long day. Traveling on crutches is not easy. Not easy. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I'm hungry. I'm bitchy. Yeah. Probably nobody wanted to be around me. Were you smelly? Probably that. There we too. go. Yeah. <laughs> so I hobble into the room, and this guy, uh, yeah, I'd met him a few times. I didn't really know him very well. He mm-hmm. says, Hey, you look like you could use a drink. I was like, Hell yeah. Duh. And <laughs> he didn't ask me what I wanted. Um, he just kind of comes over and Hands me a glass, a little yeah. uh, double old-fashioned sized glass with uh-huh. some ice and some clear liquid in it. And I'm like, this looks good. Yeah. Um, what was it? Well, I didn't know and I didn't ask. Um, I, I 
took a drink. I, I was assuming, based on what it looked like and uh-huh. how quickly he made it, that it was just vodka. Sure, sure. Well, it's like it was really strong. Mm-hmm. It was really good, mm-hmm. and it was like is this, this. This doesn't seem like vodka. It's kind of vodka-ish, but it's really not. Right. What What is this? Oh, it's it's my family's moonshine. Oh, interesting. Guys from uh, you know the next county over. Yeah, yeah. Been in you know they've been making it in the family for three or four generations or so. Yeah. And it was really good. Was it a? Oh man, I don't even want to get nerdy, but so it's good. Well, so I, I don't know what the mash bill yeah, was or God, anything like that. Because I didn't I even think ask that at the time. Terrible. I didn't think to ask that, right? Um, but it wasn't about that then. It was no, just about it the was about. I've had a that. long, hard fucking day, yeah. And this is a, this is this is helping. Wow, this is good. Yeah, yeah, it's not vodka. It's not anything I've had before. Oh, it's moonshine. Well, what? my experience with moonshine is it's about twice the proof, right? It's about four times, um, well, forty times worse. Sure, it's way harsher, right? Harsh, not well made, nothing about it is good. This is actually, wow, this is really good. Mm-hmm. I actually took some, we, we went to dinner in the restaurant down at the hotel. I actually snuck a, snuck a glass down um, to have with my meal. Right. It's really fucking good. It's just, it kept growing on you. Yeah. This is, um, this would have been 2007. Okay. So still before stuff's really happening. Yes. Yeah. That's a, kind of an interesting part of the story. So a couple of days later, I'm flying back to Austin, mm. and the wheels are turning. Man, if this guy can make this stuff this well, why didn't why not get a permit and sell it? Right. So I'm just kind of thinking about that. Legitimize you know, it. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, you know, we got Tito, we got uh, Dripping, Dripping Springs, Springs yeah. Paula's, and somewhere right around there, I think, is when Treaty Oak, yeah, uh, released. Right. Right. So really, not a whole lot else going on, and somewhere along the way. I mentioned this experience that I had to a friend of mine mm-hmm. one night, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I've thought of thought about making booze before, and yeah. you know, he he had kind of thought through uh, different categories of spirits with different you know branding and marketing and all this right, sort right. of what we look back on now and think of as like really hokey sort of Texas yeah. overly yeah. kind of the stuff that we all hate. The the, the Reddit I'm going to start where it's exactly. Like, here's the good examples but, of bad design, right? Yeah. But the fact that he had thought about this before and he had thought, and he had thought some about, you know, alcohol as a commodity in certain situations yeah, and things oh, yeah. like that. So we just kind of started talking about it. And every time we would get together, invariably it would come up mm-hmm. until one day, one of us, I don't remember who, said to the other something along the lines of, are we going to talk about this till we're old or are we going to do, do it? Yeah. And at some point it was, I don't know, I guess let's do it. Yeah. And so we started poking around. You know, we had no idea um, how to how to get into it. You know, what, what, what kind of resources did you use to kind of more understand how to do it? Just the internet or books or well, people? Well, so it goes back to lobbying. Ah, so, you know, we started kind of poking around and, and looking at, and one of our thoughts was, may I, by the mm-hmm, way? Mm-hmm. Um, one of our thoughts was that one of the big barriers to entry for any sort of alcohol, beverage alcohol business is going to be regulatory. Sure. And as as Mark pours some bourbon. Yes. <laughs> that was the exchange just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can um, I uh, pour more of this wonderful yeah. bourbon into my glass? Yeah, because I'm liking it. Yeah. Um, 
So our th- our thought was both being uh, lobbyists by background mm-hmm. is that you know all the regulatory stuff is stuff that you know we eat that for breakfast. Now yeah. neither of us really had worked specifically in liquor law or regulation, but you're probably not too scared of it. No, you're not scared to... at all. Yeah, and so you know we can do this. I will tell you the smartest thing we did mm-hmm. is. Instead of trying to go through the the, the application process, both yeah. state and and federal right, on our right. own, T2E. we hired a law firm that specialized. Yeah, in that. we did that. And too. <laughs> Not for feds, like, we just did that because that was easy. But for the state, it was yeah. Way easier. Um, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to spend the money. Yeah, I'm a tight ass. Yeah, yeah. but looking back on it, holy shit, I'm glad easy. we did that. Yeah, yeah. So um, when when was the the license issued for you guys at Revolution? It was. Um, August of 2013. Oh, cool. So so, so we started talking about this in 2007. Yeah. That's how long it took to, to, to get to more. To cement an idea. Yeah. We spent a lot of time talking, a lot of research. I mean, yeah. so much went into every part of it. Right. But what was sort of the, the bellwether thing for us mm-hmm. is as we started looking into it, trying to figure out, well, where do we start with all this? One of the things that we realized is that there had been an effort in the industry mm-hmm. to lower the tax rate, the federal excise tax, yeah. for uh, small producers. Right. Oh, which would be nice. Right. Hold them to a different kind of account. Well, so yeah. beer and wine have a, uh, a, a setup that for small producers, yeah. you pay a lower rate till you get to a certain point, and, gotcha. then, and then you pay the regular rate. Now, and then it gets a lot more complicated. Sure, sure, but sure. For purpose of conversation yeah well for for spirits it's all the same rate yeah, for everybody all the, all the time they, they don't know how to handle that in a different tiered system yet right you know so we see that there's been an effort to to do this and you got a bunch of distillers around the country that are working on this who don't really have the background in it yeah to give them credit they had made some pretty good progress despite yeah. you know not having the, the background and right yeah. you know they they had Gotten a bill introduced in Congress, wow, which is great. State, fe- federal Congress, federal, right? yeah. yeah. But it was authored by a Democrat in the uh-huh. House. Oh no, yeah. a House controlled by Republicans right, at the right, time. Right, right, right. Which is not a uh, booze is never not. It's not really a political issue now. Booze is not. Yeah, most issues. Actually, I go back to the other conversation. Yeah, most issues are not political. They get made political I by see. the parties because yeah. of the the other issues that they want to leverage. I see. But the guys. He's a Democrat in a House controlled by Republicans. Mm-hmm. He's not on the Ways and Means Committee that mm-hmm. would hear the bill, so he's got no leverage there. Right. And as I understood it at the time, uh, he was also he was going to resign at the end of that term. Yeah. And wasn't coming oh, back. Oh man. And wasn't really well liked by his own colleagues. Jeez. As I understood, losing other, losing battle then. Right. But to give him credit, to get that far without any sort of pretty help good. from from folks who kind of understand the process. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So one of the things we did is we said, hey, you know what? This is something we could help with because this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And that turned out, we, we didn't realize it at the time, but that turned out to be such a great thing because we started getting to know a lot of distillers around the country mm-hmm. who were also involved in that issue, but it was really great to build those relationships. Yeah. And so as we're going through the licensing process, as we're talking about you know, and, and here's another thing that I'm sure you find uh, to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. We have a list of probably 600,000 different things that we want to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how do you prioritize? Like, 
what what really makes sense to do now versus oh, later yeah, or ever out. versus not ever and things like that right but but you know pricing and you know sourcing yeah and which all is these pure business and yeah like, like margins and labor and all that right how do you do all that well yeah. having all these guys that we're working with on on the tax issue to to be able to say hey What's your recommendation on this? How should we approach this? Yeah. You know, things that, that that was really helpful. That's cool. And then um, also through another friend, um, got introduced to some guys who were brewers mm-hmm. that were really interested in distilling. Is that your staff now? Forest and such? We are working on that, yes. <laughs> and you know what? They, they, it's a brilliant group. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know all of them. but I just know. Uh, I, I've met all the guys. I just, I'm right. not real close with any of well, them. Well, so... Forrest, in addition to being a brewer, mm-hmm. has a, a culinary degree with a specialty in fermentation. Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't even know they had that. I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Brian, a brewer with a background in flavorings, mm-hmm. like uh, tea and you know corporate sort of right, right, more right. Uh, sort of on the the production end of flavorings yeah, and things yeah. like that. Super great palates. Uh, you know. John, who also is a brewer but has worked in in bars, you know, in both Texas and San Francisco, mm-hmm. and you know has a, a lot of sort of bar specific background. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, I'm not much of a beer guy. I'm I'm, I'm the wine guy in our yeah, group. Yeah, I figured they're all beer people, and so is that is that a fight? Is that a hard battle sometimes? To um, no, but not it's really. Not, it's it's you know. it's more about I'm always trying to um. To, to help them understand wine, yeah, where, and they're trying, they to, help trying to help you understand beer. beer? <laughs> yeah, who's who's trying to help each other understand uh, spirits? Then at that point, we we all and, and that's sort of the thing that's like in the middle. Is like there's some things that we all sort of get anyway, yeah, and yeah. other things that we're we're still working on. Yeah, Brian and I were talking about this today. Um, you know, really wanting to go out and work on some education in some of the other categories and things that mm-hmm. we haven't really played around with. Yeah. You know, and, and like what, for example? Well, as an example, I said, you know, we do gin classes from time to time. Yeah, right, right. And I was like, you know, if somebody called me and said, hey, can you come do a gin class tomorrow night at whatever? And, and you're like, I would feel completely comfortable just walking in right. and, and doing yeah. it because I've spent enough time around it. I know it. But, you know, we got to talking about uh, scotch as an example. Right. And, you know the the different areas and different styles and, and things like yeah we got some familiarity and all but we don't really get it right not, not in the same level of detail right. right and and I think you know we're all sort of in a way perfectionists yeah um, we want to know everything about everything which might be a little bit unrealistic sure but at but, least it's a good it's a worthy pursuit yeah you know and you know we don't want to make crap yeah we want to understand what we're making, why we're making it, how it gets made, mm-hmm. you know, what are the, the the pros and cons of doing it this way or that way, yeah. you know. Like with our, our gin, we, um, you know, we use a maceration rather than a, a vapor basket. Right, right, right. But we didn't just pick that and go with it. We did both. Sure. We, we, we played around with different bases, different mm-hmm. botanicals, different, you know, uh, different columns, you know, like changing – Every variable yeah, every you can variable imagine, you, we yeah. moved around, we played with it until we got to something we liked. We, if we hadn't said at one point, "Hey, we like this. Let's make this the the first product," uh-huh. we could still be dicking with it today. Yeah, well, that's that's what happens sometimes. Like, yeah. you're just constantly in the ideation stage, and you don't ever just kind of do it. You know. Well, let's take a moment here to talk about 
the bottle that we picked here that we're kind of sipping on that that you liked so much. In fact, you pour another glass, which yes. is great. It's a great, it's a little tiny bit. It's a so. great fucking bottle. And so you know, I love bourbon. I won't hide that, and I don't think anybody is doing it right in Texas because we just were behind a couple hundred years of knowing how to do it right. So at any rate, without turning that into conversation, so I picked a bottle. You know, it's kind of a a cooperative thing with 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 you and I and. This is the Elmer T. Lee commemorative bottle, which is a higher proof, more barrel selected. So it's a single barrel bourbon. This is at 46.5. This is made by Buffalo Trace. This is in to honor the distiller and or the foreman. I'm not exactly sure Elmer's title, but it's to commemorate him. And so what do you what do you think about this bourbon? I, I think it's he calls them the honey barrels when he was still alive. That's the barrels that he picked is the honey barrels. And I, I, I really do get that here. I like it. Yeah. It's really easy to drink. Sure. Um, For 46, too. I mean, oh, yeah. 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 Um, it's very smooth. It's... And, and I mean this in a critical way. Oh, because no, Because there are a lot of different ways to like a lot of sure, different sure. things. And, like, where I'm not liking it as much right now, mm -hmm. I might like it a lot tomorrow. It feels a little bit thin. Yeah. Um, Interesting, yeah. Yeah. It's not an old one. You know, uh, right. this, to my understanding, it's going to be under 80 years for sure. Do you know what the mash bill is? I don't know specifically. It's it's probably in line with the Buffalo Trace mash bill. And I'm sure if anybody gives a shit out there that's listening, correct me, please. Hank, Kathy, <laughs> Hank, if you're listening, kind of correct me. I I know that the Eagle Rare and Buffalo Trace mash bills are the same. So I'm not sure where this falls in there. But I don't I don't think it's a high rye. I think it's similar to Blanton's, but not a, not a high rye mash bill. Um, very, very simple and very clean to me. Yeah, this is definitely something that I would drink neat yeah. as opposed to actually, well, and that's the other thing. Cocktail-wise, I like mm. things that are really simple and straightforward. The fewer yeah. ingredients, the better. It's like the Beatles, man, four or less. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's how I look at it. But I don't think this is something I would ever mix at all. No, why? This is a, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a cocktail yeah. on its own. It's easy, you know? it's smooth, it's, um, you know, not wildly complex or anything mm -hmm. like that, so you don't but have you to like get you, it, you don't right? have to sit you know? and think about it while you're yeah. drinking it. it it's it, not it's like easy. yes, it's not like King Crimson. Like you get it. It's like ACDC exactly because it's three chords. You fucking get mm -hmm. it. You get the hook, and you're like, it's right. fine just the way it is. Yeah, and you yeah. know that it's always going to be um, exactly what you're yeah. expecting. Right? Uh, absolutely. Well, so transitioning from the bourbon piece, I was particularly. You guys are doing obviously the gin. Um, which we're both doing gins, and I think that makes us in a kind of an interesting community and peers in that sense. We have the same distributor even, which is interesting. But you guys have put out the coffee liqueur, right? What's right. the proof on that guy? It's uh, 20%. 20%. So proof, yeah. And it is, which coffee are you guys using again? We use uh, the Mezzanote blend okay. from Cuvée. Cuvée, okay. And we actually we went through and, and tested several of their blends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was uh, that's one of the things that's, that's – been really interesting with everything we do we you know we try so many different variations right, right. and you got a lot of, a lot of minds right. at work there different different coffee blends mm -hmm. at um different strengths uh, as we're going through it um you know different types of sugar mm -hmm. we, we ended up using demerara sugar that we, oh which was nice that's good yeah. where's the coffee from the coffee it's where's a it blend of uh 
it's it actually, and this is an interesting thing that I didn't realize when we picked it. Mm. It's a blend of three different coffees, and okay. it changes from time to time. So they, um, Mike actually goes out and and chooses the blend, um, and I don't know how often it changes. Yeah, but, but to kind of like Nicaraguan, and Colombian. And would it... I feel like it is. I'd have to go back and check. I yeah, feel like no, it's yeah. all all Central and South American. Yeah, um, which is why I think that I love that that you would use Demerara. Because in a sense, like to me, those are connect connected culturally. Which, yeah, you know? and what what's really cool about it is, you know, we tried a number of different sugars mm. before we settled on the Demerara. The reason that we named it Cafecito is because of the Cafecito coffee drink from Cuba, mm-hmm. where uh, if you're familiar, I'm not. Yeah, it's no. it's coffee pulled over Demerara sugar. Oh, yeah, okay, and okay. that's what they call it, Cafecito. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and um, is there rum in there? <laughs> no, however, I'll tell you, my favorite cocktail to make with cafecito right now uh-huh. is either uh, dark rum, bourbon, or rye. Yeah, cafecito and orange bitters. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Orange to brighten it up just yeah. a little bit. That's um, very cool. How long has that been out now? Uh, we uh, released it the end of July. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, yeah, it's a good. I and, still have yet. To, I, I've been meaning to try it, and I still I can't. Wish I'd have known. I'd have brought. Some, no, no, it's but, fine. Uh, I find it for sure. But this, but yeah. it also leads into. You, you got the gin, you got the the coffee liqueur, but also you guys are focusing on 375s of more like real particular expressions of maybe terroir, but local produce, right? In the farmhouse series, right. is what you're calling it, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, yeah. What's, so, what's, or rather, what's the objective there? I, I don't want to put the words in your mouth. It just seems to me it's all local stuff. And Well, so the, there are a couple of different things that we want to do. Yeah. One is, um, like I said before, each one of us has a huge list of things that we want to do. Right, right. I, you know, I have an idea in my head about a lot of different gin expressions sure, and variations sure. and Geneva's as well. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, sort of like tracking through history the way mm-hmm. that, that the, the products have changed and all. Yeah. Um, different liqueurs, different, you know, at some point, uh, some whiskeys and, and brandies are, are in the mix. Right, right. But one of the things that we really love to do is collaborations with friends, neighbors, colleagues, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jester King being right down the, the road from us right. a little bit, we, we see him a lot. We, we've ended up trading bottles a lot and things like that. Yeah. And, so it was just a, a really natural idea for us to, when when they made it available, take some of their fruit mm-hmm. to play around with. And, you know, in some cases we might want to distill something. In some cases we might want to do something else with it. Mm-hmm. But they had fruit from several of their beers. They had a, a raspberry, a cherry, and an apricot that, uh, you know, once they're done with it, they, what are they going to do? Yeah, with yeah it? they're done. Why don't we take it? We'll and take the play leftovers, around Jester and, King. You know, yeah, we like to play around with stuff, and maybe nothing comes of it, and right. maybe. But there's no harm, no foul, right. right? Yeah, maybe something cool happens. So, so we got this stuff in and decided we'd play around with it a little bit, add a little bit of sugar, a little bit of bit of alcohol, yeah. and next thing you know, you have a liqueur. And what's really cool about these is, you know, fruit liqueurs you think of as, you know, like big, bold, in your face sort of. Fruit and sugar, and you know, this is very different. Right. Um, what would what, what would you say is the main way that it's different? It, to well, me, like it looks, it actually looks different too. Well, it looks different. It, it's unfiltered. Yeah. It's uh, so the main difference is instead of just using 
fruit or in some cases, which you know, something else we, I don't know if we have time to talk about yeah. it, is what some people might do is using a, you know, fruit flavoring right, or something. Right. No, we don't have but, to. Yeah. We yeah. can focus we, on we, the good yeah, work we all, instead we all know, of the, back, so. the bad yeah. work. Yeah. Um, so this is fruit that has been fermented. Interesting. So it Are has you sugar a, back in it? Yeah. Cool. So, so it's got an essence of yeah, in so, the ferment. So we get their the fermented fruit that they've already used in their beer. Yeah. And so it's got an entirely different character. Mm-hmm. So it's got the, the the fruitiness and the yeastiness. Yeah. And you know, so we add neutral and, and sugar and play around with it a little bit. And this first release of these three, you know, it's our first time playing around them, not really knowing how it's gonna come out. Yeah. And, and then you and said there's a so there's a ra- raspberry? Raspberry, apricot. apricot, and cherry. Cherry, okay, yeah. cool. And then um very, very limited, all of them. Yeah. And thank you so much for... You brought me a bottle. Is it the I raspberry? I brought you the raspberry. Yeah. And really we good. only had 90 bottles of the raspberry. Holy shit, man. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, but between the three, mm-hmm. I'm going back and forth on the raspberry and the cherries to which I like the best. Right. Which is not to say I don't like the apricot. Right. It's that I've never really liked apricots. So, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But for fruit. people who like apricots, I think it's going to be really good. So they're all, they're all actually available and everything now? They're available at the distillery only. Oh. Yeah, there's not enough. Because you really, just don't have enough. Yeah, to there's not enough to, to try and go out for distribution. What's, a, what's retail looking like for them? Uh, 45 is our price. Yeah. And uh, we just released on Saturday. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. I didn't realize it's so... You know, it's man, it's so insane. New. Like the, the essence, of the, like the time is of the essence in these things and... Because we'll we'll put this interview out and like they will just have been out. Hopefully, you know people will be talking about it, and I can by the time I do like the voiceover stuff, I will have tried it in excess. Excellent. I hope. Yeah. yeah, I think you'll. I I hope you'll like. It. I mean, no, I'm sure it's it's different. It's not a typical fruit liqueur. I would going back to the conversation about wine versus beer versus yeah, whatever. Yeah. The way that I would describe it is an old world wine versus a new world wine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. A little more earthy and and dirty and complex and right. subtle, uh, and the other thing that you you will notice over time is that when we do things that um, are typically thought of as sweeter, uh-huh. we, we're not big on over sugaring yeah. shit. You know, yeah. so it's a little bit pulled back on the sugar. But that's good. I mean, if it's tart or yeah. very tart and whatnot, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to try. So what's interesting? It's really cool, really different. Uh, Probably not going to be for everybody. Yeah. One of the things that we haven't done a lot with yet, because mm-hmm. there's so little of it, is play playing with it in cocktails. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so one of the questions we're starting to get a lot is, well, what's what's a what are some good things to do cocktail wise? Well, right. I don't know because there's so little of it. I don't, don't want to waste time to play around. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to take a chance on something not being good. Right. I so, totally yeah, I totally yeah. understand. It's it's difficult, man. I've had that same yeah. kind of dilemma too. So what do you see? This is. So you got the license in 2013. You guys are probably at some point here coming up on your two-year two anniversary. Or are you Wait, um, that? Two years of being on the retail shelf yeah. will be in, uh, I guess, April oh, that's of next great. year. But we uh, – actually, let me think about that. We sold our first bottles at the distillery in February of 14. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, we're coming up right up years. on two years. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Is there anything that you're willing to talk? Now, I can always look at the labels that have been approved, and sometimes I get ahead of people. And I'm right. like, I'll, I'll go look through the TTB, and they're like, how the hell did you know I got my mezcal approved? I'm like, I just looked, man. It's public. But is there some other things you guys are working on that, that you're really excited to share yet? Yeah, um, and one of the things that, that we're very particular about is 
being open and honest and transparent about what we do and how right. we do it, sure. why we do it, all those sort of things. And so if you come out to the distillery, uh, full open book, open book, yeah. you know what? We use purchase NGS as the base for our gin, sure. and our cafecito. And you come out, there's a tote sitting right there and we tell you exactly where we got it, what right. we do with it and why we do it. Um, Which is good. Yeah. Because Tito would uh, never do that. He'll take him get sued before he starts to disclose. Well, sad there, but. And, and you know, I'm I have a I have really strong feelings about sourcing and labeling and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And you know, I think there's nothing wrong with bringing in something from somewhere else and blending it at your place. Sure. If it's good. Yeah. And if you're honest about what you did and how you did totally it. Totally agree. Yeah. Just own it. You know. And I think that's so, a big problem. Like, we'll we'll end on this. So like, oh wait, no, no, you are working on something. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you uh, off. Well, there. so. We have uh, we have some fruit brandies that we've been working on mm-hmm. where we've gone out and hand harvested the fruit, brought them in, done all the mash fermentation, everything right, in house, right. and that's a little bit further off because sure. our facility right now we don't have temperature control. Yeah, it's hard to get them ferment. Yeah, the right way. So yeah. right now it's like you know we might do one and it comes out great, and the next one we do and it's like totally fucked up. Right, these summers, man. Yeah, they kill your ferments. But we're working on that, and so we have some plans for some some fruit brandies and also some whiskeys mm-hmm. that uh, we we want. If we get to the point where we're doing those, we'll do everything 100 percent in house. Yeah. But we're not going to do it until we have the right environment to do it right. Yeah. Um, you know, the gin as an example. If uh, if we were making the gin all in house the mm-hmm. way that we wanted to do it, we would have to have an 85 dollar retail price on it right right people will pay that for a good bottle of bourbon not Hell, for people will pay that for a bad bottle of bourbon they do pay that for gin nobody's gonna pay that yeah, so it just gonna happen. it makes sense for us to do it that way yeah and if we're gonna do it that way we're gonna go out and we're gonna be very particular about what neutral spirit we buy who we buy it from yeah and we're gonna be really honest with you about the fact that we do that here's where it's from this is what we do this is how we manipulate it you know, this is how we redistill everything. Right. Uh, if you come out and say, hey, is it okay to take a picture? Like, yeah, there's nothing in here. That's We're not hiding here. anything. We have absolutely nothing to hide. That's good. Uh, so product-wise, yeah, we're working on some fruit brandies. Mm-hmm. We are working on uh, an Amaro. Cool. Or, or maybe some Amaros. Sure, sure. And some bitters. Uh, we, and lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. If you come out, you'll see our little experimental shelf of all the uh-huh. little things we're playing with yeah um some which will never go anywhere some but it some, doesn't matter because you just yeah. it, sometimes yeah. you just have to write the song for yourself and then no one will listen to it it's exactly how, it's how it goes yeah. man but it, it's been great chat with you Morgan. and you know i love gin partners i love some craft distillers but i like the guys that are being honest about it and, and very open to full disclosure and that's what I think is going to elevate the category and whatever craft spirits are. I don't like the word craft, to be to be honest. I don't either. I'll tell you, um, we very particular. I mean, it's it's an easy word to use. We yeah. use it internally all the time. Sure, that's when different. We're talking, though. yeah. But as far as marketing materials, website, you right. know, when, when we're out talking about it, we we really try not to use it. Yeah. Um, you know, that word means a lot of different things. And it's a people. crutch for marketing. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. And I want people to make their own decision about what it is we make, how we make it, you know, yeah. come out and see the place, you know, you decide see what we do and how we, you know, I don't care if it's craft or not. What I want it to be is good. Yeah. I want good you to enjoy it. Good, metric. accessible, understandable. 
um, something that, uh, particularly with Jen, because there were yeah. so many people that, just like me, when they were young, had a really bad, bad experience, experience with gin because mm-hmm. they started with something that wasn't well made. Right. And you but know, that can happen with anything. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, I won't drink wild turkey. Like, why the fuck won't you drink wild turkey? That is an amazing mm-hmm. bourbon. That one on one bourbon, it's killer. Like, in, but you got to change and kind of be open to, to quality mm-hmm. stuff. But, but it's good because you're fighting a good fight with it. And it's good to be on the same team. Right. Well, so, but anyway, th- thanks so much for chatting with me, Mark. And I look forward to trying that raspberry right. core. Man, it's going to be killer. So, thank you. Well, there we have it. Mark Schilling, a true Texanite, potentially a true lobbyist, a true politician, making some amazing things out there in Dripping Springs. Had a chance to sit down and enjoy that raspberry liqueur, the farmhouse series, as they call it. And it is insanely textured has a lot of elements to it. It's got a beer quality to it. It's unlike anything I've tried before, and it's very romantic in that sense. So if you get a chance to try some of Mark's products over there at Revolution, please do. They've got the Revolution Gin. They have the Farmhouse Series of Liqueurs. They have an upcoming Amaro, apparently. And, of course, Cafecito, which is a coffee liqueur. And it will really, especially, it's getting, it's going to get colder. I know that's kind of a joke this week since it's in the 70s, but it's going to get colder in Austin eventually. And there's nothing finer than a little bit of coffee liqueur in your coffee as you head to the distillery, head to the office, or simply head to the couch to watch Judge Mathis. So without further ado, thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. And no matter what you do, No matter how many gifts you get this holiday season, please keep dancing.